And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. <laughs> it is the chemtrail brain. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the Illumined Dr. Bear Paul Lando. We're in my Illumined hat today from Alpha Vedic. Uh, here in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme on the azure waters of the Smith River, nestled in the Siskiyou Mountains. Uh couldn't be happier with spring in the air and blue skies and man, the flowers are everywhere. Bear, I posted a couple of pictures on Instagram yesterday of my food forest just erupting with flowers and bees. Uh, it's uh, the, all the rain we had is paying massive dividends in the gardens right now. And I will say I'm like, so impressed with the Instagram photos coming from the garden and the farm over in AV right now at the Alpha Vedic Gardens. Um, zone two looks impressive, my friend. I need to make it back out there. Yeah. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been there and it's like a whole new looking place. So um, it's been yeah. very exciting been to see all that. Around, uh, yeah. Shannon's been following me around with the camera and that one reel she did's got upwards towards about a 1.5 million hits now and uh which I'm uh, a little bit reticent about but whatever. Yes. So, uh, let's get um, into it here. Let's get right into time. it. We got Brad Olson on today and we don't have a lot of time with him and this is going to be a wonderful discussion and if for those wondering about that reel you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, at Alpha Vedic Bear posted a video on electroculture and went mega mega viral. It's got like 1.5 million views, 65,000 likes. Um, really fascinating to watch the weird algorithms at play there when things go viral like that. So check that out and follow us on Telegram as, as well, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. Okay, we have Brad Olson on today. This is going to be a really fun one. I love these types of shows. Award-winning author Brad Olson has been a ponder of life's mysterious questions since childhood. His lifelong quest for answers and truth eventuated in adventures to sacred sites, ashrams, and exotic locations throughout the world. Brad started his writing career in 1996 with the advent of his book, World Stompers, which was called a subversive masterpiece of travel writing by film director Oliver Stone. We've had his son on our show before. Uh, each book he wrote in a sacred place, <clears throat> excuse me, each book he wrote in the Sacred Places 108 Destinations was either nominated or won an award for excellence in writing. His latest esoteric, esoteric series of books has already hit the pavement, running with a Pinnacle Book Award first prize in the category of New Age, Brad's stated purpose is valuing the reader's time and purchase and creating a book he would want to own himself. In Brad's Sacred Places series, he examines the many spiritual sites worldwide and in North America that are substantiated from the historic perspective of cultural diffusion and updated with the latest academic theories. Each is loaded with facts, photos, and maps. Among the topics we'll entertain on this episode will include his trip to Antarctica in search of the entrance to what he believes to be a hollow earth and how his travels impacted his spirituality and views. Very much interested in the whole Agartha narrative, uh, Admiral Byrd, of course, which I think everyone in this community is very familiar with now. Of course, uh, Operation High Jump, all of that good stuff, but then just interested to know more about Brad's take on all of that and then connected to his travels and just everything Brad's been up to. Uh, Bear, Lando, take it away. Yeah, Brad, uh, thanks for being with us today. This, this is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of your uh, subject matter is really near and dear to us. So uh, this is great. And thank you. Um, you know, uh, inquisitive minds like yourself seem to attract great adventures. And of course, you've gone all over the world seeking them. Um, you know, 
uh, early on in life when I was in grade school in Marin County, just north of San Francisco there, uh, they launched Sputnik. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but we went up on the hillside uh, above our home and we're all watching it. And then everybody left, my brothers and my folks. And I just sat up there staring in the sky. And then overhead this, it's like an entire city went overhead. This thing was so enormous. It's, it just defies your imagination. And to this day, uh, there's a, you know, just the imprint of uh, all the, the intricacies on the bottom of whatever that thing was. And it was gone in a second, but it seemed like I was staring at it for an hour. But that imprint remains with me today. And it did something to change me from that moment on where I just looked at things a little bit differently and uh, had some interesting experiences ongoing since then. And I know you've uh, had a lot of those yourself. So, uh, so good to have you here. Um, I'd like to really get into hollow earth, all that. And we've got some stories to sh share of uh, things that we know as far as what we believe to be entrances in to the uh, wherever this is. And I don't pretend to know anything. Uh, I don't know what shape the earth is. I don't know, uh, you know, uh, other than what I can glean from function of things. You know, I really, uh, because of my work, have delved into waveform mechanics and and alchemy, old school alchemy, uh, alchemy text, which basically are saying the same thing as a contemporaneous waveform physicist. And uh, that's why I like to merge the two. So I think when you understand how things work, you can uh ascertain two things number one that everything the uh legacy institutions have told us is pretty much bullshit and then you can also tell a little bit about maybe the reality of things you know regardless of the the ongoing debates out there so brad uh maybe um you have a, an interesting past if you'd like to just tell us uh you know briefly about how your journey started and everything and then I'd really like maybe to start off some sacred sites, including just over the hill from us, Shasta there, because I know you do events there. So so take it away, my friend. This is going to be uh, great. So uh, wherever you'd like to start. Hey, guys. Well, thanks for having me on the AlphaCast. It's really great to be here with some kindred spirits. And you guys know a lot about me, and I know some about you, and uh, we're... we're uh, cross paths at how weird street fair with with mike uh, being a dj and i'm a producer of this event i got a shirt on right here the how weird street fair we just uh got our permits for the 24th annual how weird street fair which is electronic music kind of a day at burning man <laughs> is to describe it and uh we're go for October 14th, downtown San Francisco, that's at Howard and 2nd Street. I'll be there, but I'm kind of behind the scenes. If you catch a glimpse of me, you're kind of one of the lucky ones. <laughs> they always do a sighting report if you see me or not, because as a producer, <laughs> I work behind the scenes. But as a conference presenter and public speaker, then I'm in front of the scenes. So I kind of play both roles, and I like it that way. It's uh how you really understand your business is to be able to take on any role. And that's also true in my book publishing business as being a writer and being a publisher of other authors, such as Michael Jaco, Leon Lyons, Agami, Lon Milo Duquette, several others. And we're picking up Laura Eisenhower next year 
for her first book called Entering the Truth Frequency. And that's a great book. I've read it and edited it. So uh, I kind of wear a lot of different hats doing this, but uh, I tell you, my passion is right there with you guys. And that is exploring the paranormal uh, crypto creatures. We were just talking before the show that you guys are living up there in Bigfoot country near where the uh, Patterson video was, was taken and not too far away from Mount Shasta, another paranormal hotspot with many UFO sightings and mysterious happenings around that mountain and those weird lenticular clouds that come and go depending on uh independent of the wind direction they can come and attach to the mountain even when the wind is blowing against them so there's so much strangeness not only at mount shasta but around the world and and this is the untold narrative this is what we have not learned in school that the media won't touch that uh, they, they like to keep us in a box and same with our educational system they don't want us to be independent thinkers or to be looking into a lot of these mysteries because it it really breaks down their whole control over keeping us in control of 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 who we are as people on this planet and all the mysteries and uh all the abilities that humans have that that's one that really gets me is that we have so much potential that has just not been uh, released and unleashed in the human body because we just haven't been taught that. So can you imagine, for example, if say in kindergarten, we started to learn about the chakras in the body and, and by first grade, we were already communicating telepathically. And in second grade, we started bending spoons, telekinesis. <laughs> and by third grade, we were having the Kundalini experience and becoming enlightened. I, there's so many things that are more commonly known in Eastern countries than we know here. So that this is what I endeavor with my esoteric series of books is collecting all the information that has been withheld from humanity. In fact, that's what the word esoteric means is information really controlled by a select few. And, th and this is what we see with this, this cabal and this deep state. And you see it in politics and government, how they're trying to control the narrative and uh, to keep us blind from our true reality. And I think that's just a crime against humanity to withhold this information. So with the advent of the internet and, and so much uh, information, knowledge, books that we can glean this information, uh, I put it to myself to uh, put this collection of esoteric subjects in three books. Uh, it starts with modern esoteric, then future esoteric, and now beyond esoteric. And I got them all here on my uh, bookshelf here. And this is the latest. And uh, this is when I get into a, a lot of the great stuff, including Inner Earth and, uh, and other subjects, including Antarctica, that uh, we're going to talk about today. Uh, fantastic. Uh, now, Shasta, you know, a lot of things going on maybe inside the mountain, too, there. You know, um, a few decades back, my wife and myself got involved with the uh, original St. Germain Foundation that had their gatherings there. It, it's changed quite a bit there now. But, um, you know, we got a lot of information as far as the doings uh, on the mountain as well as inside the mountain. Uh, do you know anything about that? Oh, yeah, tons. Well, I, I also had my uh, 
first experience with phenomena. It was actually up at Crater Lake in 1997. Uh -huh. I was just backpacking through with a bunch of people I met. And uh, so we were illegally camping up at the highest uh, location at Crater Lake. We're just watching the sunset uh, over the Cascades and the coastal range. And uh, right about then, witnessed by several others, this streaking light that was going right into the depths of Crater Lake, and it broke off into these perfect square blips. And to this day, I, I can't tell you if it was extraterrestrial, if it was something with the secret space program, like high weaponry testing. But the fact that it was going into the depths of the lake then we ran up the hill to catch our friends, see if they saw it. And we saw the exact same phenomenon right over Mount Shasta going into the cone of the volcano there. And I've come to learn that most UFO sightings around the world occur above or around or inside of volcanoes, the coming and goings. There's one right outside of uh, Mexico City, uh, Papacachoto. I probably didn't say that right. But it is, there are literally millions of people who have seen UFOs up and around coming and going out of that volcano, which by the way is active and it's spewing lava. So obviously these craft are impervious to this kind of heat, but within all volcanoes, even dormant or extinct volcanoes like Crater Lake, there is the propensity for massive caverns known to exist underneath volcanoes. So this would be a perfect uh, harbor, safe harbor for craft if they were able to transition through the mountain to get into this areas. And of course, in Mount Shasta, there are rumors of uh, ancient civilizations there, a city called Talos and a character named Philo who will see you if you're of pure spirit on the mountain, he rings a little bell and then a door opens and, and hikers of Mount Shasta have been invited into Telos with uh, incredible stories to tell afterwards. So these are the kind of things that really inspire me to get out there. And, and in 1997, that very same year, I did climb Mount Shasta and there's a heat vent at the top of the mountain near, near the summit where John Muir and his partner uh, it saved their life. They climbed Mount Shasta. It was during a storm and they had to huddle all night over this heat vent, just to stay alive. So Mount Shasta is a dormant volcano. It could go off again, just like Mount Lassen erupted uh, in the late, uh, well, the early uh, 20th century, I think around 1908, yeah. Lassen yeah. exploded. There's photographs of it. So the Cascade Range is very active. And of course, uh, Mount St. Helens blew up in 1980. And uh, we live on the fault line here in California on the West Coast. And uh, there's there's no secret that uh, you need to be prepared out here with earthquakes and the potential for tidal waves or volcanic eruptions. It's, uh, it's volatile territory, you could say, that uh, we live on. But it's it's beautiful country as well, and uh, I think that's what keeps us all here. I think that volatility also lends itself to um, making the veils a little bit thinner in some places here. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, which is why it's such a, a place of sacred sites. You know, I was telling you before that uh, right where we are here, it's uh, the Native Americans called it the Klamath Knot because it it's a convergence of several mountain ranges, which creates a vortex. And, oh. you know, interestingly enough that this is where all the Bigfoot sightings and everything are too. So definitely a, a lot of stuff going on here. So what's your take on the UFOs? Are we... Uh, you know, I guess none of us really know, but are we talking about interdimensionals, extraterrestrials? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, there's always the discussion, are they ours or are they theirs? Because we know right. <laughs> that uh, humans have been backward engineering this technology. Well, since the Nazi Germany in the 1930s, when they had a UFO crash in the Black Forest, their scientists were all over it. And even Mussolini had a uh, nearly intact craft that went down in the Lombardy region that he also turned over to the Nazi scientists for backward engineering. So it's always a question of are they ours or theirs? And NORAD, who tracks all movement in the sky, even has their own terminology for our planes that they know are, are terrestrial flights. They call them slow walkers. But if they're of an unknown origin, then they're called fast walkers. And the fast walkers are the ones that can move at incredible speeds and will actually take a right angle, a perfect right angle. Now tell me any plane that we know of that can do that. And then they disappear. Then they go interdimensional. So this is when uh, this study of craft UFOs becomes really interesting because then you can see that they have interdimensional qualities. And if that's the case, um, then they could also be traveling through wormholes or going into uh, other star systems very rapidly. And that that would make the pilots of these craft ultra terrestrials that are actually traveling between dimensions. Now, think about how through all our lifetimes we've been taught oh look to the skies they're extraterrestrials they're from other planets and look I, i've been on a couple episodes of ancient aliens they always say extraterrestrial everything but what about inner terrestrials what about those beings that live right here on planet earth right below our feet right in these volcanoes that we're talking about that uh, could also be malevolent ETs, the ones that are doing the abductions and the cattle mutilations and have their own agenda and do not care about the fate of humanity. So there's there's good ones and there's bad ones. And, and the, an analogy I often use is, it doesn't really matter the color of their skin or if they have scales or slit in their eyes. What matters is, are they of service? to self with their own agenda and doing the abductions and cattle mutes, or are they in service to others? And, and that those are the ones that we certainly want to be aligned with. And those are the ones that are very concerned about the fate of our planet and the human race, but they have their stand down orders that they cannot interfere. So remember in the, uh, the original Star Trek, they had this notion of a prime directive, and that is a, a, an exploring group of beings, such as uh, on the USS Enterprise, 
were not allowed to interfere with civilizations that were up and coming, that were that were still evolving. And that's that's what Earth is right now. We're still very much evolving. <laughs> Some might say we're still in the stage of Planet of the Apes down here because we have wars and we're killing each other and starvation and degradation of the planet. But at the same time, you also have very advanced humans and, and very advanced beings that I do believe are communicating telepathically. And, and this has been going on for quite some time, uh, starting with the Vril Society post-World War I in Bavaria, Germany. And, and my friend uh, Frank Jacob and his girlfriend who live out there, they found the old hunting lodge. It's still there. It's now uh, boarded up and they don't want people to know about it and go there. But it, it was true that they were doing uh, telepathic transmissions with Aldebaran star system. And in the 1920s, so we're talking about 100 years ago, they were downloading these women who let their hair grow really long. One was named Sigril, another was Maria Orsic. And they were channels. They were intuitive and they, to the point where they were able to telepathically download blueprints for zero point energy for for free energy and uh very complicated plans for these craft so that was then absurd by the Thule society in which heinrich himmler uh uh adolf hess adolf hitler himself were all part of the Thule Society. So there was these secret societies that were going on in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. And when they realized the potential of these blueprints that the Vril Society women were downloading, they instantly uh, incorporated that and started working on these plans. So are they ours or theirs? Yeah, well, that's the big question. And then of course, after World War II, you have all the paperclip Nazis coming over to the US uh, getting new identities in some cases if they were war criminals. Others just kept their same names like Hermann Oberith and Werner von Braun, who was in the SS. There's a picture of him in my book, Future Esoteric, and he's fully wearing his SS uniform. Uh, he's partly obscured by uh, Heinrich Himmler, but there he is right behind Himmler. That's Werner von Braun wearing his third Reich SS uniform. And the SS, they're a secret society <laughs> to the core. And let's keep in mind that when World War II ended, the fighting forces, the Worm, Wehrmacht, the Army, the Luftwaffe, the, Na the Air Force, and, and the Navy, they surrendered. But the Third Reich never surrendered, nor did the SS. They went underground and created the Third Force. And this is the kind of esoteric history that I'm very interested in because after World War II, they took their top uh, personnel, scientists who are willing to go along with it, the SS, down to Antarctica, and also massive land holdings in South America, namely in Chile and Argentina. So when I was going over maps and planning for my trip down there four and a half years ago, there are these huge, some of them the size of our small states, like the size of Connecticut or Delaware, 
that are these micronations in South America, just in the same way that the Vatican City is a micronation within the city of Rome, within the country of Italy, but they act independently. And so the Nazis were able to get away with this and create these uh, micronations. They got out their scientists, they got out their hardware. Uh, they moved to Antarctica for a period of time and had the confrontation with Admiral Byrd and, and uh, Operation High Jump. And I can tell you how that all went down. And this has been going on now for 75 years. We have had this third adversary. And after they lost their fighting forces, the Fourth Reich became an intelligence network. And they have infected not only this country, and we see the rise of a new kind of fascism, which I described in the first section of Beyond Esoteric, that has affected this country. And I think all of your listeners can see that quite clearly now that uh, we have a very big problem on our hands. And I, I like the saying that history doesn't repeat, but history rhymes. And we're seeing the <laughs> rhyme of the Third Reich and the brown shirts being Homeland Security and all the, the neo-fascist techniques in, in this country that are coming to rise uh, is like a pay, playbook page right out of uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, and yep. you can say that this is how it happened with this uh, project paperclip and the escaping Nazis after World War II. Yeah, Brad, we had a uh, gentleman on, Jason Reza Giorgiani, if you're familiar with him, a fantastic researcher who wrote a book called Closer Encounters. Isn't where he, he the one that uh, we got censored for? Yes. <laughs> and, and, it must have been a good one then. Yeah, uh, I believe so. That or we couldn't stream with him. I forgot what it was. But anyways, his book, Closer Encounters, and that he's more of a philosopher, actually, an academic who works in university, but uh, very tapped in. And he yeah, that book I highly recommend because he puts forth an amazing thesis on how the Nazis actually way before Hitler were already developing all this out of the occult. And then, of course, continued their power through the U.S. military industrial complex. And it's what we're facing right now at this time. Um, but with the real, which is an interesting connection to Hollow Earth, is they deemed so they have what's called the real force, which is like yeah. an inversion of chi, almost, you could say, or, you know, that same con concept. And they said that basically that was derived from that force was derived from the black sun, which was a big ball of prime matter, you know, coming from the alchemist, the prima materia, which supposedly existed in the center of the earth. Um, and this was essentially where they were putting out their radiation, the form of the real force. So that is interesting. There is a direct connection with the Vril uh, and the tool society to hollow earth. Oh, a huge connection. Absolutely. And also in Antarctica, it said that the uh, base that they originally set up called uh, Base 211 in the New Schwabenland area was given to them by uh, a malevolent ET force, the, the reptilians, who were allied with them also in World War II. Here's a uh, symbol of the Black Sun, which is also found in Weaselberg Castle uh, in Germany. This was the occult headquarters of the SS and Heinrich Himmler. And uh, so through the occult, they were able to then 
communicate with ETs. At first, it started out with good ETs because we got to remember, post World War One, Germany was the most technologically advanced civilization on Earth, and so it would make sense that the Aldebarans would intercede and give them technology that they knew could be used for good. Well, when they uh, started going to the dark side, <laughs> then they uh, lost that contact with Aldebaran and then started communicating with the reptilian and malevolent forces here on Earth, inner terrestrials. You see, the workaround of the reptilians and the greys, which are all manufactured, they're all cloned, uh, the reptilians have natural birth, but all gray species are all test tube products, and they are made right here on Earth. Look right below Dulce, New Mexico, the Archuleta Mesa, and I do cover it quite extensively in Beyond Esoteric, what's going on there, the Nightmare Hall and a lot of uh, genetic experiments using unwitted humans that got abducted and have no idea how they ended up there, but uh, it's not going to end well. And they have been here for thousands of years. And so their workaround of the prime directive is that they are earthborn as well, just like humans. So they have a right to do the things that they do. That's their justification. Now, because we don't know who they are, because we haven't been told what their agenda is, or this uh, Griotta Treaty, which is... Go, gets renewed every 10 years in the fourth year, started in 1934, went up to 44. It was always a technology exchange so that they could do their abductions and uh, collect genetic material from animals and humans saying that, oh, well, we're a dying race. Well, we need to do this. This is what they told the generals. And in many ways, it's truthful. The greys are a dying race because they do not have natural childbirthing uh, potential anymore. But here's the real interesting part of all this. There were some great interviews that Carrie Cassidy did on Project Camelot with a guy named Dan Burish, who had worked with several of the captured ETs that they collected from uh, downed UFOs. And what they said was that they are humans, hybrid humans in our future that have come back to this timeline to ensure that they exist. I mean, just kind of wrap your head around that. So they're coming back from 1,500 and 3,400 years in our future to come back here to make sure that their hybrid experiments with humans continue. Because if they don't, let's say we nuke uh, or collapse the Dulce base tomorrow, their whole timeline is extinguished. That's why you've never heard of a 10 kilometer down earthquake under the Archuleta Mesa. This is the most protected ET base on planet earth. And if, if we ever do hear that, it's going to change so many different timelines, so many different ways that these creatures are going to be able to exist in the future. I, I don't think it, they'd even be able to do it because it would change the fabric of these different timelines. Now, look, every one of us has our own timeline, right? You're, you're going to die at some point, and uh, you're going to affect different people in your lives. 
but there are macro timelines. And that is what um, another interview Kerry Cassidy did with a guy named Bill Wood. His real name was Bill Bodecker. Uh, she did a couple interviews with him. He worked with the device called the Yellow Cube. And this is what I feature on the cover of Beyond Esoteric is the Yellow Cube device. Because the Yellow Cube can tap into your personal timeline. You can see all your past lives with crystal clarity, a little holographic image generator. And you'd know it's you. You'd get goosebumps all over because you'd remember it by seeing it in the yellow cube. Now, the yellow cube can look back on any event in human history with crystal clarity. This is also the Akashic Records. Uh, and by accessing this information, well, let's say we were able to have it on our cell phone, talk about the next killer app. We could all just right now queue up Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963, Kennedy assassination. Oh, there's shots coming from the Daltech building. Oh, there's shots coming from the overpass. More shots from the grassy knoll. Freeze frame right there. Where's the kill shot? Oh, it was the sewer shooter that got him. All conspiracies would thus be over. And so Bill Bodecker, he was saying that in 1964, the Griotta Treaty, they demonstrated the yellow cube to the assembled generals at Holloman Air Force Base. And, and the ETs communicated, what event in history would you like us to demonstrate for you? And being Christian, uh, God-fearing men, they said, well, we'd like to see the passion play of Christ. We'd like to see the last uh, hours of Jesus' life. And sure enough, he was a real man. He was horrifically crucified, and they watched the whole thing like it was in real time, but it was just a, a playing from the Akashic Records. And so they were just blown away. Okay, what do you want from us? Well, we want more abductions. We want to take animal mutilation. Incidentally, the first animal mutilations, the first known ones, recorded ones, happened shortly after, and it was actually a horse named Snippy the Horse in the San Luis Valley near the uh, the great sand dunes there was the first animal mute. Since then, 94,000 cattle and animal mutilations and not a single arrest, not a single suspect. If it's in the winter and they find the corpse, there's no footprints, but the animal is mutilated. And th this figure is from Tom Dongo, who I spoke at a conference with in March in Sedona, 94,000 animal mutilations that they got away with. So the yellow cube is this incredibly powerful device. It has been a captured operation from the black hats, this, this dark nobility, uh, because they have controlled so many different operations. But what they really wanted to do, and this is what Bill Bodecker was saying to Kerry Cassidy, is use it to look into the future. Now, the future is nothing but a series of probabilities. So they can only see probable outcomes. And then they would tell Bill Bodecker, who was working with this device, well, well, we want timeline two. We want the disaster. We want World War III. We want uh, depopulation. And every time they would do it, it would seem that it was going to work out that way, but then it would flip back. Why? Because timeline one is the true destiny of our planet. Timeline one is the human race going to the golden age, 
releasing all this technology that has been bottled up and giving it back to the people so that we could have our Star Trek future. So keep in mind, Star Trek, the, the original TV series in the 1960s, was humans working with good aliens like Spock and just exploring the universe, following the prime directive and having this kind of technology 300 years from right now. Well, it's interesting that uh, the head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, a guy named Ben Rich in the 1980s had a little change of heart on his deathbed. And he said, we've already got the technology to send ET home. He said, if you can imagine it, we've got it. And we are 300 years in advance with our technology than the humans on earth. So we have had our Star Trek future robbed from us. And we've also had so many other incredible technological breakthroughs, such as the med bed, all this allopathic medicine and uh, the whole medical system. I'm glad we're not on YouTube. I'd say something. I just got a, a, a one of my videos taken off of YouTube from my book, uh, Modern Esoteric. I have a chapter called The Unhealth Industry and Escape. They just knocked that one off. No reason given, but I think I know why. If you say the yeah, V, that's uh, <laughs> whenever when we ever uh, expose facts that contradict events of the last two years, those are all, all of our things have been censored in that vein, you know, because that's been my profession. You know, uh, when you understand the mechanics of the etheric, um, uh, what they just called the ethers in the alchemical world, you understand that every event is imprinted. Um, and it follows the same mechanics that allow matter to precipitate in the ethers, but that imprint can be revivified at any time because it's like a it's like a film medium. So what you're talking about with the yellow cube does not stretch my imagination. There's also, um, I think, more than just tales of uh, a large cosmic screen that's used uh, by the masters inside the royal Tetons, where they, uh, you know, people that are ready to see certain things are brought in and then they can see any event in history. Uh, and then they also talk about the future as being probabilities, just uh, the, the same way you're explaining. Yeah. And you yeah. have like Edgar Casey who tapped in, right. Supposedly into yep. the Akashic and he had all of his health readings are pretty dynamic in terms of they were actually proven to be effective, like 89 or 92% worked. Um, and so, yeah, we have a lot of data actually showing from mystics and different, um, you know, soothsayers and stuff who have tapped into this and shown that this is real. Uh, and also there's like what, Project Looking Glass, which is another really interesting um, sort of secret private, you know, military operation tap, probably tapping into this. You know, one thing Bear and I always remind the audience is that we are the ones that create the reality. So here in, in this, you know, we often relate this to a projected simulation. And yeah. so uh, I think a lot of times I see these little grays and stuff as sort of little demons trying to trick us into forgetting our power. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, I think it's important for us to remember that, that I think the great power is when we all come together 
and understand that we do manifest the the timeline together and there and we do have helpers as bear was kind of alluding to with the masters and that could be a nice little segue into antarctica because according to admiral bird's wild tale in his in his diary that's was it his son-in-law or somebody brought out after his death which is quite a fairy tale when you listen to it it almost sounds like very miss very very out there but i was listening to it again yesterday but he mentions a master that comes out and uh basically warns us about what we're doing and how they have advanced technologies uh beyond even any scope of what we can imagine um in the there's this mention of agartha right that admiral bird discovers um, on your trip to Antarctica, was was this a driving sort of force behind you going there? And what did you see when when you were there? Did you just go to the peninsula, or did you get to go deeper into the onto the actual continent, or as my flat Earth friends say, over the wall? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate to break it to your flat Earth friends, but there is no such thing as the ice wall. Uh, it is a mountainous country, and I did go to the peninsula. I stepped on continental Antarctica. Uh, it's beautiful. It's it's 99% covered in ice. But keep in mind, it's the fifth largest continent in the world. So the distances are vast. Uh, everything you need to survive, you have to ship in. So uh, the cost of travel is expensive. You have to be really pretty much willing to spend tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand dollars to go inland to say, climb Vincent Massif, the tallest mountain in Antarctica, which a lot of people who summit Mount Everest and uh, Denali or Kilimanjaro, the highest peaks on each continent. Well, they got to go down there and, and hit the highest peak in Antarctica to uh, round out all the big seven. So you need a lot of money to go. And I, I did mine uh, fairly on a shoestring. I mean, it still cost me several thousand dollars uh, to go on a sailboat for 26 mm. days down to the Palmer Peninsula. And uh, another misconception, I talk about this in my conference presentation, is that, oh, well, you can't go there. Well, I did go there. I, I got pictures on my cell phone if you want to see them. And I guess like 45,000 people a year go to the peninsula. I was looking at last night. There are tour agencies that'll take you there. Well, there, oh, yeah. there are no go zones. Uh, isn't that correct? Well, there and, is. And yeah, mm -hmm. there are no fly zones. And, and the most infamous one is one degree off of the South Pole. And that's exactly where, where Admiral Byrd was the first to spot it. He was the very first aviator to fly over the South Pole and couldn't help but miss this gaping hole, which is several kilometers wide. And this is also where Brian S., the whistleblower of Linda Moulton Howe, also identified it and saw it and, and so noticed that there was even a road snaking down into it, like a cat track road that they could drive from the South Pole. And that's where the no-fly zone is. So there are areas that are certainly off limits, but I talked to a travel outfitter and I said, look, I, I might be able to have a budget and come down with a, a camera crew and we might like to go check out that pyramid poking through the ice in the Ellsworth range. He said, oh yeah, I know where that's at. Uh, we fly over it. He calls it a nun attack, which is just an attractive mountain sticking through the ice. 
But I said, well, did you ever land it? Did you, did you ever land near there and, and climb it or take a sample or check it out? Nah, no, nah, we just fly over it and everybody marvels how pyramidal in shape it is. And there's other evidence of, of other locations, mostly in the New Schwabenland area. That's where the Nazis made their claim. And they're one of the three mother ships, which have been known about since the 1970s and nicknamed by our intelligence agencies, the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria, one of them, and I think the best evidence for a mother ship under the ice is the Conan base, which is a, a German base and has been since the uh, late 1930s, where again, their scientists were working on backward engineering this technology, even if it was a, a defunct ship from a million years ago, there's still a lot of technology that can be gleaned from getting in there. So in 2013, Google Earth showed an excavation of the Conan base and they were going into this craft and you could see all this um, orangish material, kind of like a rust color that was uh, on the ground, there's a airstrip, there's a snowmobile tracks around it and they were uncovering it and they were working on it that year. Now, if you go to that same GPS coordinates, it's like they put a circus tent poles over it. And that's really all you can see the snow drifting on top. But um, this Conan base, which I think is one of the three Nina Pinta Santa Maria was also remote viewed by the Farsight Institute they got in it with their remote viewers and they said, yeah, it's some kind of defunct ancient ship built for giants. I mean, everything is on a grand scale, uh, 20, 30 foot ceiling. So very large beings had once uh, piloted that craft. It's long been uh, unfunctional, but it's still down there. And apparently two other ones as well. Well, they made it so after, after. Look Go ahead, Bear. Um, as, if we look at the Earth as a toroid, which I believe it is, and it would make sense that the poles would be where the largest entrances would be into the inner Earth. And um, when I was in grade school, I, you know, I loved Life magazine because it had great pictures all over the world and everything, the original publication. And when they had allegedly the first satellite pictures, uh, it hit the newsstands where you're seeing uh, a view of the North Pole from above. And within a week later, and we actually got that from the newsstand in a grocery store, a week later, all the copies were withdrawn and new copies were issued. And in the new copy, it had cloud covers over uh, where it looked like, you know, different formations in the original one. So I remember that very vividly. So it seems like somebody's been trying to obscure that for a long time. So uh, what were those uh, images you just showed? Well, this could be one of the other motherships under the ice. You can see a couple of people standing there with a snowmobile and very large disc-shaped craft. Oh, wow. There. What's yeah. that image from, Brad? Um, I was given quite a few images from a guy who anonymously goes by the name George Crystal about 10 years ago. Well, longer than 10 years ago, I was putting together future esoteric and I have a lot of his images in here. He said he was working with um, the equivalent of the U European union secret service. And at one point he was able to get a jump drive in and download a whole 
shit ton of graphics and videos and material. And I guess he liked what I was saying on Facebook and said, uh, Hey man, I, I got all this stuff and I'd share it with you because I think you're, you're going to use it for good purposes. And of course I said, that'd be great. Love to have it. <laughs> and he did. And, and it's been uh, absolutely invaluable for showing uh, images of what he was talking about. And this also includes uh, structures on other planets and other extraterrestrial artifacts here on Earth. We, we don't really think about that too much, but there are actually um, quite a few. Um, one example is the uh, Baltic Sea anomaly, this uh, oh, yeah. what, like the millennial falcon, yep. the bottom of the ocean. So there, there are crafts, there are uh, other anomalies. It's a mysterious planet out there. You just have to have eyes to see and ears to hear to be able to pick up on this stuff. Because again, we are not be given the information we need to make uh, intelligence decisions by the forces that uh, control this information. And, and that's why I've endeavored to do this three book series to just clear the air and, and get this information out and do the best I can as an independent researcher, you know, alternative media to, uh, to put this together in book form. Yeah, it is interesting. After Operation High Jump, they made the treaty, right? With the seven or so nations and no one's allowed to go there now. And then they had the, the large Operation Deep Freeze in the 50s where they sent a massive amount of military there uh, and they would bring out Admiral Byrd. He was pretty old at that point and they would kind of bring him out as a, you know, sort of a celebrity. Um, and I was watching some of those videos from the 50s last night. They're kind of like almost like a Disney style uh, documentary. And it seems like like almost like propaganda film, like they were making oh, it seem. Are. Yeah. So so basic, just, a, you know, a fun military operation for scientific discovery. <clears throat> so what do you think's going on there? What what is all the smokescreen about? And it's funny now, because one thing I noticed last night with these videos or excuse me, these old films is. They say now you're not allowed to go on the main Antarctica uh, continent because uh, for two reasons. One, because it's very dangerous. It can drop down to what, negative 90 Celsius. Uh, and so it's extremely harsh conditions. And two, because it's a very fragile ecological environment. And so they use the ecological aspect of, you know, protecting the ecology and the fauna and the flora there. Uh, but. It's interesting on these these films last night, I was watching some of the soldiers unpacking boxes and things, and they're not even wearing gloves. They're not even really dressed, you know, so are they shooting this somewhere else where they're not even filming it there in Antarctica? And then, of course, we hear in like, what, 2018, 2019, U.S. dignitaries and celebrities going down there. Um, a lot of strangeness around Antarctica uh, in terms of, you know, secret operations going on so what is your grand thesis or theory of what the heck they're doing there now yeah i, I would say that there have been very old et bases maybe they're working out of some of these uh craft uh it's quite possible they've are sheltered from human uh viewing even from satellite, if you if you have a base underneath the ice, well, nobody can see you really. There is ice penetrating radar, but you have to be right over the target to uh, detect anything down there. 
So the other thing about Antarctica, it is the most volcanically active continent in the world. 91 known volcanoes with all kind of geothermal features all over the place. We sailed into the uh, into the caldera of a dormant volcano called Deception Island. And in our Lonely Planet book, yeah, there's a whole book from Lonely Planet on Antarctica describing all the places you can go. And you can go. I mean, this is another misconception that, oh, no, nobody can go there. Yeah, you can. I went there. And we had a dinghy on our boat. If we wanted to drop the dinghy and go see whales or go ashore and walk among a penguin colony, we could do whatever we wanted to. Now, mind you, we were only in this northern tip of the Palmer Peninsula, but I've talked to other outfitters and they say, yeah, sure, we'll, with enough money, take you anywhere you want to go. Okay, there are a few no-fly zones, but uh, it's it's just basically this big frozen continent. I mean, the polar plateau is over two miles thick, but if there's geothermal activity underneath there, you have the propensity for these massive domes to occur under the ice from the melting and the heating. So the presumption is these are the locations that have been used not only by uh, extraterrestrials as a heat source, as a energy source, but also by the cabal. And here, here's a little interesting factoid, and you can look it up on a map. There is a Rothschild Island, and there's a Rockefeller Plateau, and they even give them the naming rights for their uh, properties. What I found interesting with uh, Rothschild Island, and Michael Sala tipped me off on this when I asked him, look, I'm going to the Palmer Peninsula. You have any any places there? We I should request my captain to go check out. And he said, yeah, if you can get down towards Rothschild Island, he said they have uh, a harp array down there, which is used for steering weather. And sure enough, right when I came back from uh, Antarctica, about a year later, remember those big fires in Greece? The summer of, I think, uh, 2019, maybe 2020. Well, Dabu 7 came out with this video. It was uh, of the globe. And it showed this harp array coming out of Rothschild Island, going up over the whole globe to the fires in Greece that, that, that he was suggesting that they were intentionally started. And these can be used on a global basis. They don't even have to be localized to be able to uh, steer the weather or start fires or do a whole number of things. Yeah, those, those same uh, arcs have been visualized many times up here with all the rash of uh, forest fires in the last decade. Yeah. Dutch sense. So um, yeah. Yeah. Dutch sense. who's so, a very um, scientifically minded guy. He caught one of those uh, harp rays hitting right in a NorCal back when we had those big fire, that fire season a few years back. I mean, it's, they're using that technology for sure. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Bear. Well, I was just going to ask in Antarctica, you know, I've heard reports of very temperate zones with lush vegetation and that sort of thing is, is, uh, do you know if that is true or not? And probably due to the geothermal? Well, due to the geothermal, yes, there are. Uh, of course, if we were to follow the diary of Admiral Byrd, which was released and published by his son, uh, subsequent after his death, Admiral Byrd said he saw he flew down into the hole, which he discovered about 15 years earlier, went back there when he was summoned by the master 
uh, just after the one-sided <laughs> defeat in, uh, in the Battle of High Jump. And he was summoned to go see the master. And when he was flying in with only his radio man, uh, he said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Which were verdant green hills. And he said, that looks like an elephant. Uh, and when they got closer, it was a woolly mammoth. So <laughs> if this is to believe, there is a whole world down there with mega flora and mega fauna of another kind of age. What its heat source is besides geothermal, I don't know. But it was illuminated the whole way too, he said. And about halfway in, two craft came wing to wing on their plane and he lost control of his plane and they escorted him in to this uh what i would describe as the emerald city from the wizard of oz just this fantastical looking futuristic civilization under the ice but on the continental floor and that's when he uh, noticed when they landed that there were nazi insignia that there was uh, the, the the pilots who escorted him had a German accent, and this was the new Berlin base, I believe. Uh, and it's a different location than base 211. It's uh, near this place called uh, Beaver Lake, which is also geothermically warm. But um, base 211 was near the Schumacher Ponds, and I do have pictures of that in Beyond Esoteric. I was able to get... Uh, some Nazi maps of New Schwabenland and also how they got their U-boats under the ice. And one of the slides I show in my uh, Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica presentation shows Antarctica without the ice. And indeed, there are 100-mile fjords that intersect into deep into Antarctica. So uh, if you knew where you were going, you could take a, a U-boat submarine and go well deep into the whole continental landmass, which I think is is really fascinating to consider that um, that they were coming in. The Nazis were able to come in not only with planes and boats, as they did in New Schwabenland expedition, but also with the Führer's convoy, the last U-boats, the big cargo submarines which left Germany prior to the end of World War II in Europe. And Hitler escaped. He probably went to Argentina, uh, but maybe went down to Antarctica for a period of time. But he lived out his life in South America. There's a great History Channel program called Hunting Hitler, which was on for uh, three seasons. And I went to a lot of those locations in uh, Chile and Argentina, and I can tell you that uh, they're German enclaves, <laughs> just like you would see uh, if you went to Germany or Austria or the Alps. It, it's like you uh, travel back in time. And so the way it went down, and I wanted to address Operation High Jump and Deep Freeze when they brought Admiral Byrd back for his last trip, they were trying to root out the Nazis in this new Schwabenland area. And they couldn't do it because the Nazis had this advanced technology. Now, whether it was the reptilian craft that came up out of the water that confronted Admiral Byrd's armada and sunk one of the ships with a direct energy laser beam, can't tell you if it was purely Nazis, if it was reptilian or working together. 
But what I can tell you is on the way back, Admiral Byrd said to a journalist that we would be confronted with an enemy that has the ability to fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. Well, as far as I know, uh, 75 years later, there is still no such plane that could fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. But shortly after high jump and deep freeze, what do we have over the Capitol? And this was a photo that was on newspapers around the country, this flyover of craft, right, of the most sensitive airspace in the world. And most UFO researchers, if they're worth their weight in salt, will now agree that these were the Antarctica Nazis coming to show force over the Capitol and force surrender treaties with the waning Truman administration. Now, I told you earlier, I'm, I'm publishing Laura Eisenhower's first book, and she gets into a lot of this kind of esoteric history. So only a month or two later, then Eisenhower wins the election, and he inherits this treaty that Truman signed with the Fourth Reich, basically surrender treaty, and he was pissed. He wanted to root them out. Of course, look at the great loss of life he must have seen in World War II as the uh, supreme commander of the Allied forces. Uh, and here he is getting handed surrender papers. Well, this then led to his wanting to get to the bottom of the ET issue. And there were more than one occasion where Eisenhower himself personally met with extraterrestrials. And he also wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on in Area 51. And he threatened to mobilize the first army and invade Area 51 if they wouldn't let him in, because they don't have to let in even the president of the United States. This is how bad things have gotten and, and gone away from our democratically elected system, where even a president in the 1950s is denied access and information to these facilities. And once again, I do believe it's the paperclip Nazis that had way more power than we're willing to admit. And they were the ones really pulling the strings in the whole ET backward engineering and how we were uh, handling our exopolitical uh, relationship with other ET races. And you you probably need uh, go no further than Langley if you want to find your uh, nearest existing Nazi enclave. Oh boy, that's neo-fascism to the core. You know they they even mm -hmm. changed the definition of fascism. If you get get your hands on an old dictionary, say pre nineteen uh, sixties or nineteen fifties, it would say that fascism is the combining of corporations under government right. change the definition in new dictionaries but neo-fascism is now those corporations taking control of government this is the problem we have right now is that these unnamed globalists have usurped and captured the operations in all of our great institutions i mean look at how corrupt the fbi and the cia is and the Department of Justice now just in this uh, Durham report that came out a couple of days ago, they are so corrupt. 
they really do need to be broken up and scattered to the wind, as JFK said, because they are not serving the American people. They are very politicized. The people who do deserve to be arrested are left alone. And the people who are getting harassed <laughs> are actually the good guys that uh, should be uh, breaking this whole system up. So everything is inverted. Yeah. We're, we're living in a backward kind of society right now because they're able to legally propagandize and lie to the public through the media. I mean, you can thank Obama for that with the NDAA 2012, uh, where, where they basically stripped away all the truth in advertising, the truth in media, this uh, Smith-Munt Act, which is was truth in media. Well, that all got taken away. So yeah, they can legally lie to us and they do routinely. So that's why we have to sift through uh, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And, and that's why uh, these books have done so well, because I have no agenda other to tell the truth and to help people understand this stuff. And there is just so much that has been kept away from the human, so much that could really benefit our lives. In fact, I, I consider it an act of self-defense because they're coming at us in so many different vectors to take out the human race. There is an anti-human depopulation agenda at hand on earth right now. They want to reduce the population by 90%. And it was set in stone right there on the Georgia Guidestones to reduce the population to 500 million. Well, we just passed 8 billion at the beginning of this year. So <laughs> where are the other 90% supposed to go? Dead. That's how bad it's gotten. And that's why this is so and, uh, We need to learn this stuff. I was traveling in circles where we were trying to alert people to this over 40 years ago. We predicted the events of the last couple years. And in my experience in medicine from the inside, you know, we were understood the whole AIDS scam and, the, you know, the whole similar etiology with all the same characters behind it and everything that's happening now. So, um, yeah, I, the only thing that uh, is really astounding to me is that they got this far because some of us that knew this long ago, we just figured, oh, well, you know, cat's out of the bag. We know it, so everybody's going to know it. But here we are. And with the timeline, if you've been alive for a little bit long, um, yeah, you can just see the loss of freedom and everything that's astounding. And the unfortunate thing is uh, recent generations have no contrast of the way things used to be, which was, you know, not perfect, but stellar compared to now. So Brad, in a few minutes we have remaining, can you tell us a little bit about some of your upcoming events, how people can get a hold of you, uh, you know, and get a hold of your your brilliant books and and all that? Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, if you want to know more about me and some of the projects I'm working on and my conference schedule. You can go to bradolson.com. And if you want to get a signed copy of any of my books, uh, cccpublishing.com is my pub book publishing business. And any of my books, I'll sign for you. And I've got all the other books of authors that I publish here that can also go out. Uh, I'm going to Grafton, Illinois on Saturday for the Journey to Truth Conference all next week. I'll be there and I'm even leading a uh, trip to the Cahokia Mounds, which are 
uh, the largest mound site that's still left. Uh, the base of Monk's Mound in Cahokia is larger than the Great Pyramid, and it's it's a uh, laid out in a Mayan sacred city complex. A very fascinating site. Looking forward to that. Come back. I'll be uh, my ranch here in Nevada for about a week, and then I leave on a month road trip, starting with uh, Contact in the Desert down in Indian Wells at the Renaissance Hotel. I'll be giving uh, my Antarctica Hidden Anomalies uh, free lecture, and then I'm doing a workshop on uh, the age of exploration maps and pre-Diluvian evidence around the world, even underwater archaeology, proving that there had been high-tech advanced civilizations on this earth far longer and older than we're uh, even meant to know. I'm also on a panel with Graham Hancock. That's a great honor to be asked to talking about forbidden archaeology on Friday night at Contact in the Desert. I'll be there with uh, my books and I'll have a table. I love meeting people. So come on over and say hello, uh, get a signed copy of one of my books. And then I'm heading up uh, the California coast, uh, doing a little family time in the Bay Area, seeing some friends up in Humboldt, not too far from you guys. And then um, getting up to see my girlfriend in uh, Portland and she helps produce an event called Betsy Fest. So I wanna see how her and her friends do their event and support them. Then I head on back down uh, your neck of the woods to Mount Shasta for the Mount Shasta Summer Conference uh, over the solstice weekend. And I'll also be doing uh, my free talk on Antarctica. I'll be doing my workshop on uh, antediluvian civilizations and also moderating a panel on UFOs and ETs. Always cool stuff. Uh, then I'm flying out to, um, Florida in July, working with Billy Carson and forbidden knowledge TV. We're doing an eight episode series on Antarctica for forbidden knowledge. And I'm writing the script for that right now, coming on back in August, going back up to Mount Shasta for Chronicles of Gaia conference in September. I'm going down to Las Vegas for the 5d alien event and then in october i'm flying back to florida for the um spiritual uh, informers connection in orlando and all those uh dates and sites and links are on bradolson.com if you go to uh, my upcoming conference page and hope to see uh some of your listeners out there uh, i'm a people person i like meeting people unlike some of the speakers who are actually quite reclusive and never come out and meet people. I'm, I'm quite the opposite. I, I love to hear other per people's perspectives too. And you guys are great today. And thank you for having me on and, and contributing to this con conversation. It's so very important that we get the information out there and, and people start to really understand that there's so much more complexity to the world than we've been led on to believe. Absolutely. And I think people like yourself are really making a dent in the collective unconsciousness. So uh, keep up your good work. And if you uh, are in Shasta and in the mood to uh, hop down 199, at, you know, uh, north of Shasta at Grants Pass and come out to the coast of Crescent City, we're right about midway there. So stop on by, say hi. Might hit you guys up. That could work out. I'm a, I'm a road tripping guy. I've been to all seven continents, including Antarctica and 
50 some countries in my life and I just love traveling. It's kind of in my DNA makeup. <laughs> awesome. Well, Amazing. thanks again, Brad. It's been great. Hey, thanks guys. And yeah, please visit Brad's website. It's in the show notes below, bradolson.com. Uh, go follow him, get his books. Are those, those books on Amazon, Brad? They're all on Amazon. Okay. They're bookstores nationwide. I have a big distributor, but oh. the only way to get signed copies are off of cccpublishing.com. Okay, great. I was just going to say, I'll add them to our book list. If you guys go to alphavedic.com forward slash book list, that is our Amazon book list. I'll add those today so you can get them there. And then uh, we get a little bump for that and help uh, push Brad's books out too. So uh, appreciate that, Brad, so much, man. And maybe I'll make it down to how weird it's been a while. Um, actually, good buddies with like Donald Glaude and play with Mark Farina and a lot of these like old famous house DJs from back in the day. It still play it to this day. I think Donald played last yeah. year. So um, very, very cool, man. Um, that's fun that you're doing that. It's so important to get out in the real world together, dance together, celebrate life together, celebrate the arts. It's really what defines us, right, as humans. So uh, thanks so much for all that you've done. And guys, remember, get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go for a hike, go plant something, get your gardens going. Give Mother Nature some love. She'll show it right back to you. And we'll see you next week, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Thursday. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Love you guys.